Welcome to Life Happens, where Texans come to protect their legacy and prepare for the second half of life. Join your host, Attorney Kim Hegwood, with Hegwood Law Group and our weekly guest as we navigate the challenges that emerge as life happens. Now here's your host, Kim Hegwood. Hi, welcome to Life Happens with me, Kim Hegwood. Uh, today we have back with us again, Lisa Milliken with Milliken Healthcare Consulting. And so Lisa's going to talk to us about something very dear to her these days, right? And so strategies to manage heart and brain health risk. And so uh, we were talking uh, earlier beforehand, so we got a lot of more education, uh, cardiology type education these days. So let's talk about um, managing, you know, heart risk to, especially if someone's worried about, you know, the risk of dementia. And so, because how do you, because it just seems almost these days that everything is related somehow, some way. And uh, so, so talk to us about heart risk and in, in, in the risk of dementia. So it's really not two separate things almost anymore because uh, they share a lot of the same risk factors. You probably, and dementia is not even a diagnosis. It's a set of characteristics. The diagnosis that triggers this process of dementia is um, like Alzheimer's dementia. You hear the most about that. Um, one that's very similar, has almost the exact same signs and symptoms as Alzheimer's is vascular disease that can trigger dementia. And, and we've even seen uh, dual uh, diagnoses now of Alzheimer's and vascular disease. But unless you do very, very specific neuropsychological tests, physicians can't even tell the difference in those. So but uh, the same risk factors that trigger cardiovascular disease, um, and this is just a lot of research, and I've been on this topic for the last eight months researching to teach an interprofessional course for physical therapists, occupational therapists, nurses, pharmacists, all of that. But the same risk factors are like uh, low HDL. When you look at your cholesterol, your HDL is good, your LDL is bad. So if you have high HDL and low or high LDL, low HDL, um, those are cardiovascular risk factors. They're also high risk factors for dementia. Diabetes is one of the highest risk factors that shares, that cardiovascular disease and dementia shares in common, especially if it's not managed. Not to say that if you have diabetes, you're automatically gonna get either one of those, but if you don't manage it, you're at high risk for both cardiovascular disease and dementia. But think about, another thing about this, think about the heart's function is to pump blood, to oxygenate blood, send it, you know, from the lungs, it gets the oxygen from the lungs, it sends it to the rest of the body, it oxygenates the body to include all of those tissues and uh, through the blood vessels, the tissues of the brain. So when we see decreased heart function, we often see decreased oxygen getting to the brain decreased blood flow, and then cardiovascular disease causes all kinds of things, whether you've had a heart attack or stroke in the past, or just um, lots of little brain bleeds, is one of the way I explain it to my patients, lots of little brain bleeds all through the brain because of heart disease leads to dementia. So if you're managing one very well, if you're managing your cardiovascular risk, you're also decreasing your risk of dementia. 
So what are some risk factors that you can't change? You know, they're hereditary and you look in my family and you don't yeah. have a lot of choice in some of it. Yes, mine too, my husband's too. So when I talk to, when I educate my patients, I'll say there's a few things you can't change. There's a ton of things you can change. So the things you can't change, uh, number one is family history. I'll refer to my notes so I get it right. If you've had a brother or dad, so a male in your family uh, that had cardiovascular disease before age 55, or if you've had a female in your family, like a sister or mom that gets cardiovascular disease before the age of 65, that can put you at risk. That doesn't mean you get it. That just means you are at risk and it's highly advisable that you manage the things you can change, which will decrease the amount of risk. So um, that's your family history. A second thing is age. All people who are older do not get cardiovascular disease, but as you get older, especially those who are over 70, 80, 90, then you have an increased risk with age of further cardiovascular disease. Um, and then if you already have disease, so if you've already had a heart attack, if you've had hypertension for many years, or if you have heart failure, um, layman's terms for that is congestive heart failure, CHF, in the literature and um, you know, in terms of scientific research, we call that heart failure. And many, probably all, cardiovascular diseases eventually could lead to heart failure, and that's just a decreased efficiency of the heart to pump and to function. So if you already have one of those diseases, that's your risk factor. So that's the things you can't change, but you can minimize the effects of those. So that leads us into the things, what can you change? So um, some of the highest things that you can change that would make the most difference is one to either not smoke or stop smoking if you already are. And I've seen people and, you know, I, I just don't refer to my anecdotal, but I really, everything we do is evidence based practice. So one piece of that is what does the literature say based on science? But the second leg of that is what do um, expert clinicians say? And I work with a lot of interprofessional teams and value you know, what we've all learned for the last 30 years with our patients, that's a second piece of it. And then the patient's response and their experiences is the third piece of that. But all of that tells us that um, if someone stops smoking, even, um, you know, in their 80s, if they stop smoking within a few weeks, they start to increase their heart function and, and it makes things better and it prolongs their life. So smoking is a huge one. Lipid management's another one. So having the right fats in your diet, good positive fats. Um, and I call the positive fats, you know, like your monosaturated fats, fats from olive oil, avocados, nuts, those kinds of things. And getting rid of those bad fats, like the worst thing you could do for your heart is eat a donut. It's highly <laughs> saturated. It's added to sugar, um, you know, all that's bad. So let me run through them for you. So raise lipids in your nutrition and dietary fat. And you can look at that when you get your blood when you get your blood work your triglycerides should not be too high your hdl should be as high as possible your ldl should be as low as possible smoking damages and narrows the arteries and increases inflammation and inflammation is the thing that triggers the most disease and i mean like the top 12 diseases that we die up in america is triggered by increased inflammation well smoking triggers increased inflammation high blood pressure overweight obesity 
diabetes is huge. So once you have diabetes, you want to manage it and do everything the doctor tells you to do. Um, increase glucose levels, damage artery walls, which triggers heart problems, heart failure, all kinds of heart disease, and increase likelihood of fatty deposits on your artery walls. So if your if your you know artery your blood's flowing through here, but if it's full with fatty deposits, your blood can't get through, so it's clogged. Um, physical inactivity leads to uh, heart failure, uh, well, heart disease. So the more active you are, the lower of your cardiovascular and dementia risk. Alcohol and there's a lot to be said for that. A little alcohol can be good for people, but you get slightly over that and it can be very negative and it can affect your heart health. Salt and sodium and processed foods. And sodium is not just salt. I stress that a lot. Sodium <laughs> comes from canned soup, from um, lunch meat, processed things. Anything that um, is preserved so it lasts longer has probably sodium in it. Uh, stress is huge. And then sleep deprivation, gum disease, toxins, food allergies, all of that. Those are things you can change. So, you know, so you talk about sleep, um, you know, being, you know, huge. And so why does good quality sleep, you know, why is that important? Sleep replenishes your body. It prepares it for the next day. It does great things, especially um, in all the different stages of sleep, not just deep sleep, which you may get about this much a night, but that does a lot for you, but um, the different REMs. So poor sleep, I'll refer to my notes, and sleep deprivation, so not enough sleep, or even if you lose one night's sleep, it could take you weeks to get back to where you used to do, especially if you're over the age of 30. When you're 18 and you're in college and you lose one night's sleep, you've come, your body's completely recovered the next night once you get one night's sleep over the age of 30 and then 40 and 50 it gets worse and worse when you've lost sleep it takes a long time to recover so sleep deprivation leads to chronic inflammation and again kind of like smoking it's it's very bad for your arteries for your all of your systems all of your um your organs um chronic inflammation is bad that contributes to plaque formation and artery hardening so lack of sleep is so serious, but if you do get sleep, it heals your body, it restores your body, it repairs the heart, it repairs the blood vessels. And then one note uh, from the research, ongoing sleep deficiency is linked to an increased risk of heart disease, kidney disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, and stroke. So get your sleep. You know, if you've done nothing else right today, get a good night's rest. <laughs> I think the, you know, as kids, uh, I was never that too terribly upset about naps, um, like most kids. Um, but as I've gotten older, I'm like, boy, oh, I sure miss a good nap, you know, right after lunch, you know, kind of stuff. Yes. So sleep I enjoy. And um, so probably the last thing that factor that probably, you know, hits most of us um, more so, you know, probably me, you know, easily, uh, as far as managing stress to lower your risk. And so, yes. It's one of my favorite topics. I've been teaching like two to three hour seminars and workshops lately on managing stress because it leads to chronic disease. It's not just, I feel horrible, something's not right in my life, I'm not balanced. It leads to disease factors. So today I uh, went to a cardiologist appointment with my husband. It was a follow-up and I love talking to cardiologists because I do so much research on cardiac rehab protocols. And he was telling us, 
well, also COVID, people have had COVID, um, sometimes that triggers the onset of heart disease. But he was saying it's not just that, the stress levels that he's seen in the last year of his patients is triggering the onset of cardiovascular disease. And that's a lot of things of what I teach is it starts with, you know, releasing cortisol and um, uh, adrenaline and and all of these hormones that's great to help you fight or flight for the moment to get out of danger, but it stays in your body because you constantly dwell on it, worry about unknowns and your crazy schedule and all of that. So let me just tell you a few quick things to manage stress. Number one, you've got to stop the nonstop release of stress and cortisol. So just take a moment and let's do this together. So breathe in, hold it for at least five and then breathe out. So I do that when I go to the dentist. <laughs> I love the dentist. I love, love, love going to the dentist because I love getting, making sure there's no plaque and tartar on my teeth, knowing that here you go, the plaque and tartar from your teeth gets in your bloodstream through your gums and the same plaque shows up in your heart. You know, we have a little bunch of studies on that. Anyway, when you do this deep breathing exercise for a good five minutes nonstop, do it before you go to bed to re decrease your heart rate. Listen to 60 beat per minute music. Bring it down. Meditate. Pray. Do all those things. It takes your brain away from to bringing it down. You're making your heart relax. You're stopping the constant flow of adrenaline and cortisol that after a while decreases your immunity and does all these horrible things to your body. Exercise. Get your heart rate up for 20 to 30 minutes a day. And I'm not talking about starting a running club and doing one of those killer aerobic classes that we all hate or we've done in the past and now the thought of it just like I can't do that. It could be yoga, it could be stretching. It could, most people, the best thing for them, especially as we get older, get on a treadmill for 20 minutes, work up to 30 minutes, just do it. And my favorite thing, put music in your ears of something you love, not something somebody told you to listen to, but something that think, oh, I love that song and listen to it and just stay on that treadmill or go outside for a walk and be in nature and focus on what you're grateful for at any given time, especially lately, there's crazy stuff going on in the news and our families and our jobs and whatever, our schedules. We're trying to do too much. We don't know how to say no. And I'm working on that. <laughs> we all are because we want to say yes. But get into the point where you make yourself think about at least 10 things I have to be grateful for, not the things I'm worried about. Like I have a place to live. I got to take a shower this morning. I, I have access to good food. I have a family. Maybe not all my family. You know, maybe there's problems in somebody's family, but there's one person that you have that, that brings you joy. So focus on what you're thankful for. Meditate or pray. Both of those changes your brain matter. If, I mean, there's a great ton of great studies on that. Just 12 minutes a day of prayer or meditation changes your brain matter. And it helps you to live longer and decreases aging factors. Practice the deep breathing. Listen to music. Practice yoga or Tai Chi and laugh. Find something to make you laugh. There is no way your body is going to kick in and nonstop um, 
be in the stress mode if you're laughing. I saw something on Facebook last night of the people shared their most embarrassing moments. I was laughing so hard. There's no way I'm stressed while I'm laughing. So whether it's a stupid cat video or a joke or a TV show, whatever, figure out how to laugh to relax your heart and your brain. uh, I've added a bunch of more funny Facebook groups. Yes. Because I am the ones that that bring some of it is hysterical and um, good jokes, you know, that kind of stuff just, you know, and it just makes you laugh. So if you're looking at it before you go to bed, it's, you know, you're, you're cheerful and things like that, you know, so. I saw one yesterday, the lady said, I went to the vet and they said, and she said, I forgot. And they said, you forgot what she said, my dog. (laughs) How can you go to the vet and forget your animal that you're taking to the vet? It just, I don't know why that made me laugh so hard. <laughs> different things makes different people laugh, and and it it it's good for the body. Yeah, definitely. So, all right. Uh, somebody wants to find you, Lisa. How do they find you? Yes, tell them to call me or email me or text me. My email is l millican. So l m i l l i k e n two o two one at gmail.com. And my uh, cell is 346-334-8777. Perfect. And so always a joy to have you on the show. And so good information. And I appreciate it immensely. And uh, and we'll see you next time. Yeah. Y'all have a good day. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Life Happens with Kim Hegwood. Be sure to tune in every Thursday at 10 a.m. wherever you listen to your podcasts as we navigate through the challenges that emerge as life happens. The content of this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship or constitute attorney-client privilege, legal, medical, financial, or any other professional advice.